thinking of McRib. <laughs> what do you reckon's in that? I bet you it's got every kind of pig, every pig part except the squeal. I haven't, I never will forget one time Dad took some hogs down to the packing place there in Sulphur Springs to have a butcher. And I went down there to pick it up and I had to wait around a while. They had this big vat. They just take pieces of meat, throw them in there and just cover with flies. I said, what do y'all do with that? He said, that's what we make chitlins out of. I ain't never eat a chitlin. Do not want a chitlin. I definitely after that. All right, that's all I had for tonight, anybody? <laughs> you have your Bibles with you. Turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to look at some beautiful passages of teaching in Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. This is the finishing up of the letter to the church at Rome, to the Jews in Rome. Even though it's called Hebrews, is because it's addressed to the Jewish Christians there. It's widely believed that Paul was indeed the author. And at the end of this chapter, it makes references to Timothy. And it could be because he was in prison there also. In Hebrews chapter 13, let's look here at verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. they got to realize this church was under persecution. And under persecution, particularly when you have those who have been Jews. And you've got to remember, the Jews were very legalistic. They had dietary restrictions. They had the writings that uh, you not only had the Torah, you had the Mishnah and the Gomorrah. The Gomorrah was interpretation of the Mishnah, and the Mishnah was uh, interpretation of the Torah. And so they had extreme uh, legalistic attitudes. For example, if you were a tailor, and on the Sabbath, if you had a needle in your lapel, and you walk three steps, you are in violation of the law. That's, that's how critical it got. And so you got to remember these were Jewish people who became Christians. And of course, you know, like uh, I always tell people when I do premarital counseling, everybody brings baggage to the relationship. Well, even so, when we're married to Christ, and that's what happens when you become a Christian, you bring baggage that you've got to get rid of. That may be part of the situation here. Because when you have people who are very legalistic, something else happens. And I've seen this, in, uh, and, and I'm not putting them down, but predominantly if you see independent Baptists, uh, Bob Jones Baptists, whatever, the ones who uh, you, you have to have a razor haircut and have to wear a tie. This is no joke. You have to wear a tie to go to church there and all these sort of things. And um, what happens then you have those who start to become very critical of other people in that fellowship. And so <clears throat> dissension enters in. When, you know, you, you can, you, like the old saying goes, you can be so heavenly minded that you have no earthly good. And in the process, you can be so critical of the way other people are living uh, that you get into a, actually a sinful uh, relationship with God because you're constantly judging the righteousness of your brothers and sisters in comparison to what you think your righteousness is. So we see here that the author of Hebrews is saying, let brotherly love continue. In other words, you got to realize, as God's word says, and I used to love to hear Dr. George Anderson say this, he'd say, love covers a multitude of sins. There's a saying regarding Christians that we kill our wounded. 
And there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, somebody in the body of Christ, a Christian, mess up, make a mistake. Let me tell you, just because you're a Christian don't mean you won't ever make a mistake. In fact, a Christian sometimes, when they make a big mistake, it is a lot of pollution. And when the rest of the congregation finds out about it, it's just like they, they, they shun them. And instead of embracing them, in fact, God's Word tells us clearly in Galatians, uh, you who are spiritual, if you see a brother stumble, you go and help him and, and lift him up and work to restore him. But that's not oftentimes what happens. People love to, you know, I always tell people, I say, look, when you point your finger at somebody else, you got all these other fingers pointing back at you. And you got to take that into consideration. God's Word tells us uh, to get the plank out of our own eye before we try to get the speck out of somebody else's eye. And to quote Ellis President, clean up your own backyard. I just had to throw that in there. It's not the Bible, Bible or anything. But. Verse 2. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now, you got to realize something in the time period that this was being written. It was not unusual to have ends, I-N-N, Condemned and, and referred to in the same sentence as brothels. Ends were despicable uh, because you know they they realize the Old Testament. You take somebody in, you're to help them, uh, and you don't charge them for that. And then when ends come about, uh, hotels, if you will, uh, they had a bad reputation to be able to be nice to people for money. That's basically what it is, you know. That's what it's like when, when we go out to eat. I don't, I don't know if you realize this one. When you go out to eat at a restaurant, you ever notice how uh, waitresses almost flirt with you and stuff like that? And it's, well, it's not because you drop dead gorgeous. You know? <laughs> Do I? Even the men ones. Woo! <laughs> you know why? They're a big tip. You know what? And some guys who you know, have an inflated ego, they go, well, I'm all left about your chips. <laughs> no, they want your money. Honey. <laughs> That's why they're nice to you. In the same way, you know, they, the Jews couldn't get over, you know, paying somebody to be nice to you, to be hospitable, to, to to put you up. He's saying here, you know, be kind to strangers. In other words, people are traveling through. Put them up in your house. You know, put them a pallet on the floor, if you will. And he's talking about, he has in mind reference of, of when uh, uh, Samson, uh, before he was born, the angel came to his parents and said, you're going to have a child. We see the angel come to Joseph and said, you're going to have a child. We see time and again, of course, there's what's called a theophany uh, when it came to Abraham coming visit him. But he said, uh, be kind to strangers. Because in so doing, you have entertained angels unaware. If you want an interesting, very interesting read, uh, get Billy Graham's book, Angels, God's Secret Messengers. You will love it. And he gets so many documented situations where obviously uh, angels have been involved. It's just absolutely wonderful book. In fact, uh, when I taught uh, Theology 4 at Graham Bible College, part of the Theology 4 was dealing with angels, angelology. And uh, I had one of the textbooks. I used it as a textbook. That particular book, it was that good, that well documented. 
there are uh, angels. I think some people I know, some people go too far and almost worship angels and talk to their their personal angels. How many believe, how many think you have a, a personal angel? See? Mine's Three. right here. Huh? Mine's right here. That's yours right there. Remember what I said about waitresses? Be careful. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. There seems to be some biblical evidence and reference that we have a guardian angel. Uh, I know I wore the sandals off of mine. <laughs> but uh, I think a lot of times if you think back in your life if there not been instances that you realize that was God and I believe he sent one of his angels there to take care of the situation I know definitely two situations where I have uh, been dealing with an angel no if answer but it's about it when you're talking to somebody and they turn around to go down the street and there's no doors or nothing all the way down to the next block and they're not there. Uh, and you knew that there was something very spiritual, very good feeling. It wasn't like a hate feeling. It was a good uh, spiritual thing. Yes, David. I was in a car wreck in high school one time. No, hold on, I want to get this because there's people watching. I want you to put this up here so they can hear it. Car wreck one time, and the guy had a sunroof in his car. When the car rolled over, I went out the sunroof and landed on my feet and watched the wreck go by me. Nobody was hurt, and I was landed on my feet. So you can't tell me that somebody didn't pull me out and hold me up. That's amazing, dude. That's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, what was it just the other day? I wish I could recall where it was at. Uh, a uh, guy was trapped in a car, it was on fire, and some guy out of nowhere came and pulled him out, and then he wanted to be found nowhere. And I, that was on the news today. Uh, anybody see that just here recently? And uh, the guy went around nowhere. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I do believe that uh, we, as God's word says, we entertain angels on word and realize they can take any form, any form familiar form. I know in that book by Billy Graham, I, I, there's one story, one account that just really uh, sticks out of my memory. Uh, this woman, single mom, husband passed away, had a little girl and uh, she got desperately ill. And uh, the, the, the little town, uh, the doctor, I heard a knock on the door and he opened the door and that one of his little girls there said, you've got to come and help my, my mama. She's very, very sick. He said, okay, give me a second here to get my coat and get my bag. And so she led him down the street and went in there and sure enough, he got there just in time. She's about to, to die and he administered the proper medication and everything. Uh, he said, it's a good thing you sent your daughter back here when you did uh, or you wouldn't have made it today. And she said, my daughter passed away a year ago. And he described what she was wearing, and he, she said, open that closet door, that's what she was wearing. It was sure enough that she was in a little coat she was wearing. And Billy Graham said, that, that was an angel. God, can he can make a, any form uh, that he wants angels to assume. 
And you know, people say, oh, that's a good one. No, that was something that was good. Things that are attributed to ghosts as such and fear. Fear is not a God. Fear is not a God. Uh, so don't confuse. One is from God and one is from the devil. And there's a difference between angels and demons. Uh, demons that want time were angels. They were cast out of heaven. But uh, God can send his angels to do all kinds of wonderful, miraculous things and intervene. Uh, it's, it's absolutely, absolutely incredible. In fact, somebody just told me here in, the other day here at this church is something. Uh, it's Richie Green. He told me something like, he was something like it. I said, uh, Richie, I believe that was an angel. He said, I did too. I don't remember what the situation was, but I remember he telling me this past Sunday. Verse 3. Remember, I, David, I've got to admit too, I'm impressed that you got through a sunroof. <laughs> Back then you couldn't, no, I couldn't. I couldn't get through. If an angel said, I'm going to put you through a sunroof, he'd be tugging and pulling. <laughs> Brother, that's quite a story. Verse 3, remember them that are in bonds, as bound with them. And notice, as bound with them. And them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Um, William Barclay, I like what he says on that particular passage. You got to remember a lot of Christians were being imprisoned just by being a Christian. And at that time, there, this early church, uh, if they had any extra money, a lot of the Christians were poor and they were put in prison because of uh, indebtedness. They were put in, in, in prison because of uh, being bold in their speech and testimony about Jesus Christ. And uh, he's writing here and says, don't forget those who are literally in prison, who are bound because they were doing righteous work. And it's recorded that oftentimes, and this blew my mind when I read this, that even some of the Christians uh, would sell themselves as slaves to raise money to get other Christians who were in a terrible jail situation. Uh, that's how, how much they took this to gratitude. Remember those who were in bonds as though it were you. And you got to remember, he's talking about at this time, Christians were highly persecuted. And in, in fact, one of the worst situations uh, at that time, mines, cutting stone and working in mines. And one of the worst sentences that you can get is to work in the mines. You can imagine uh, the life expectancy was not very good. And uh, there was, it's recorded that in some of the mines, the underground mines, there, the, because of what's grown on the walls and such, they would have Christian churches, small Christian churches gathering of those slaves who worked in the mines and would have church down there in those mines. So when God's word says, remember, remember those who are in bonds as though it were you. In other words, what would you do and what would you want people to do to remember you in those situations? Verse 4. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. I shared Sunday when I was talking about socialism. And I, I shared then that the, the socialism does not want to encourage marriage. They don't care to encourage living together. They don't care to encourage uh, even having children uh, so much. But did you all see that the woman who went to... AOC's gathering and she recommended eating babies uh, because of the grand. Anybody see? Anybody hear that? Mm -hmm. She recommended eating babies 
uh, just to help the environment. Oh man, sick, 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 sick. Uh, but that uh, marriage is an honorable thing instituted of God. In fact, when I, I did a wedding rehearsal last night and got to do another wedding rehearsal Friday, and Linda's niece, I'm doing her uh, Star City funeral, I'm <laughs> doing her wedding Saturday, and then my nephew's on Sunday, uh, which is a wild thing. But one of the things that I tell them in the wedding services is how the vows go. Starts out, dearly beloved, we're gathered here today in the sight of God to join together this man and this woman in holy matrimony, which is an honorable estate and institute of God, is not to be entered into unadvisedly, but reverently, discreetly, and in the fear of the Lord, do these two people come now to be joined. So it starts out on the footage of what this verse here says. Marriage is honorable. And marriage, believe it or not, I went to Bible college with a guy who said, I believe biblically that it would not be unbiblical to have more than one wife. And I thought, you're an idiot. <laughs> I did. I basically told him, you're, you're an idiot. <laughs> I, I could get away with that. But uh, no, God's word says, for example, if you want to know how the best way to conduct yourself, how to live as a man or a woman, Always go over to 1 Timothy chapter 3 when you read about the qualifications of a deacon or of a bishop. That's an outline to show how best you ought to conduct yourself. And one of the things that's in there for deacon, for bishop, whatever, husband of one wife. So when he said that, I said, you know, <clears throat> study your Bible, brother. That's just, that's just not going to, going to cut it. And when two people come together and join together as one, and when you read in Ephesians chapter 5, it condones marriage to one woman and to one man. Uh, what was it that uh, stupid uh, Warren, what, what's her name? Warren. Uh, Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren. <clears throat> she was asked a question the other day. Shouldn't uh, be married to one woman or to one man? And she said something that she thought was funny. She said, yeah, you know, a man can be married to one man. Married one, and just, it just, Sick, sick, sick. Just under the fact, if you want to be married to one woman, then do that. But oh, if, that's yeah, right. If you yeah. want to be married to one woman, do that. In other words, trying to uh, be cute with what God has instituted uh, that uh, He created uh, for marriage with a man or a woman of the opposite sex. Verse 5. Let your conversation, and really, when you see here, I'm reading now the King Jimmy. Conversation means your life, how you live. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you had. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Um, covetousness, <clears throat> I may get in trouble when I'm going to say, but I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm country redhead. Uh, I see all these. We we got some big, beautiful homes in this area. Beautiful homes. You go over here to uh, what's that over there over here, Linda, where they got the golf course? What's that called? Ridge. Yeah, Ridge Ridge. Beautiful home. I tell every time we drive by there, I look at Linda. I said, I don't get it. He said, Well, and I said, if I had the money to build one of those houses, I'm a die gun if I'd have another house right close to me. 
If I've got money to build that kind of house, I want to have a few acres around me so I can have a good, decent fight with my wife and without the neighbors hearing. <laughs> really? I don't understand it. And we've come to the conclusion that it's just a matter of Joneses trying to keep up with the Joneses and, and showing. That's the only thing I can figure. I think if you get some of those houses, you know, probably half a million dollars or better, why would you want to build right beside a house that's a few yards? I don't get it. it I, I, let me ask you, maybe there's a good reason I just don't understand. Anybody know, got, got a, a better reason as to why people do that? Huh? Got more money than sense. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just that just that just amazes me. I mean, I'm not saying live off the grid, but I at least want an acre on each side of me or something. You know, I it's just like I never will forget when Lynn and I first got married. We lived in apartments down there in Gray. Well, actually, we lived in that apartment. Then we moved an apartment down there across the North Electric in Gray, and that's where we were living when Matt was born. And uh, God beside me, <laughs> he was strange. Uh, he liked to play his music loud. And of course, Matt was a baby. And so I just went to knock on the door. I said, uh, we got a new baby over here. You're going to have to turn that music down. And he said, well, okay. I said, I appreciate it. And uh, one day, we, were, we knew it was time to move out of the apartment when we were sitting on the steps out upstairs. And we could hear the guy sitting on the step of his apartment burping. <laughs> it's time to go. I, I want to say, if I was here to hear the guy burping beside us, and uh, we had a couple who we went to high school with who had an apartment on the other side of us. And of course, our bedroom's upstairs, and at time we'd go to sleep, I'd knock on the wall and say, Good night. <laughs> I mean, I just don't like that. I don't want people like I like people most of the time. But I'm, so I'm independent. I tell you what, you think of a preacher, but I'm, I'm, I've always been very independent. And uh, I just, I, I've said all this, but all from the scripture it says, uh, be not covetous. Uh, because I, you, know, you see so many indications of life where people are obviously covetous against their neighbor. And God's word tells us to be content in what you have. There's a fellow I know. <clears throat> down around Jonesboro. Uh, he's a multi-millionaire. I'm serious, he's a multi-millionaire. He's got show cars. He's got show cars that he has a bill just to keep his show cars on that he pulls in and has a lift to raise one so he can pull another one under. He goes out there, what's that big car auction all the time? Uh, out here in Arizona. Uh, he goes out there, and, uh, I mean, the man's He's a millionaire. He lives in a double wide. I thought, you're all right. You know, <laughs> he, he could have one of those homes over the ridges, but that's good enough. That's all he needs. Uh, he just, he, he, I admire people like that. So be content. Be content uh, with what you what you have. Our, our little house is so tiny. I've been telling Linda, we need a double wide. But she don't want to. Huh? Well, she said, like that would be bigger. That would be bigger. I like just need some place to put my hat. So. <laughs> get, get you the double wide, leave her in the tiny house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll get the double wide. She can stay in the service quarters. <laughs> uh, 
You can still wash my clothes for me, wouldn't you? No, you're pushing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like the fellow said, he, he said he knew his wife was getting ready to leave him, but he was convinced when he got pulled into the driveway and the house was gone. It was a mobile home. <laughs> uh, verse 6. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man, man shall do unto me. We see that same sentiment in Romans chapter 8. If God be for us, who dare or who be against us? You know, when we, if our faith, when we really believe that God loves us, and that's so important. We, because we have the old devil who's quick to fill us with guilt. Amen? We have to remind ourselves by God the Holy Spirit, God is on our side. God loves us. He knows we're not perfect. You don't disappoint God because He knows what you're going to do before the foundation of the world. But we have to constantly remind ourselves the devil will try to put in your mind bad things are going to happen to you because you're not perfect. Where there's none righteous, no, not one. God loves you. Just like this saying here, He's if he be for you, you don't have nothing to worry about. And he is for you. As a, as a father pitieth his children, Psalm 103. As a father pitieth his children. So God has mercy on them. You see, it's just, it's just, just like Junior here. He, he wasn't perfect growing up. And uh, I don't care where we moved, he'd find us. <laughs> You know, I still loved him. Uh, God's a better parent than we are. Look at verse 7. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. This is, is addressed to, to ministers, to pastors. And uh, there are some pastors who try to rule their church as if they, uh, everybody ought to bow down to them. Let me tell you something. As this verse here says, the pastor ought to live his life that others would want to emulate. It's not what he says, though that's important. It's how does he walk? How does he live his life? Uh, there's a lot of hypocrisy. Now, let me tell you, everybody's a hypocrite to a certain extent. You know, in fact, it's, it's like I read somebody said one time, it's not conducive to me. If each of us were judged by our own standards, we would fail miserably. The way we judge other people, if we were judged by our own standards. So you see, that's why we're all to a certain extent hypocritical. But all of the, the pastor, the shepherd, ought to realize, like Jesus. See, Jesus gave us an example. And when we see on the, the night at the, at the Last Supper, when Jesus girded himself with a towel, and he knelt down, and he washed the disciples' feet. The God's Word says, Jesus is our example, that we should walk in his steps. Uh, Doing what I've done for being a full-time pastor for 43 years. I've met all kinds of ministers. And I'll be honest with you. And I hope you don't think it's egotistical. I don't like to be around most of them. I really don't. 
A lot of them are just full of They really are. It's, they, they, they come across this holier-than-thou attitude. And I've been told that I shouldn't be, over the years I've been told that I shouldn't be so open and tell stuff about myself. I said, hey, that's the way I am. You know, I'm, I'm not going to try to act like uh, I can walk on water or anything like that. I'm not going to try to act like that and I never fuss. And like I say, Randy, get with me later and I'll let you know what things we can fuss on over 50 years, right after 50 years. Or, Hats, closet, dwelling places. McRib, McRibs. <laughs> Do Amazon. I? Amazon. Amazon. I have never met one. <laughs> I've read about them. <laughs> yeah, she got on me the other day about the credit cards. Amazon, Amazon, Amazon. That is the neatest thing. <laughs> that is. I don't have to. I went in Barnes Noble here a while back, and the lady that runs, she said, where have you been? You used to come here and buy books all the time. I said, I go on Amazon now and have it delivered the next day to the house. Do like the woman where her husband got mad at her for ordering Amazon. She saved all of her boxes throughout the year and then set them out on the porch one day when he got home to make him think that she would ordered all that at one time. Is that the one? The husband got on his wife for ordering so much for Amazon. Says she saved all the boxes and one day she put them out on the porch, had all these Amazon boxes. So when he came home, he thought that she had bought all that stuff. Verse eight, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful passage of scripture. Jesus Christ is saved yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the same. You know, when we read here the love that Jesus has for us, the ability of Jesus, the power of God, he hasn't changed. Mankind has changed. Mankind's relationship to Jesus has changed. We see the same sentiment, 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 not sentiment, sentiment in the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi, when God's word says, I am God, I change not, therefore you sons of Jacob are not consumed. God does not change. He is, as we read here, in the earth first, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when you're reading things here in the Word of God, say, well, things were powerful, mighty back then. It's not God's change. It's man's faith, man's belief, man's relationship with God. I think one of the worst things that happens to, I mean, I believe that science is important. But I think the science has been used by the enemy to infect our belief in God. But Jesus Christ is saying yesterday, today, and for verse 9. Be not carried about with the divers and strange doctors. I never will forget, I was uh, working on my master's through Luther Rice. And when you, you were working with Luther Rice, did they send you like a... Uh, it was, it was called Turabian Form. How to write papers called Turabian Form. And it had a whole example on a paper talking about divers. And it was talking about how, you know, there must be something really bad about divers because the Bible's always talking about divers. Was it their scuba tanks? Was it, of course, it's tongue-in-cheek. It's cheap. It's cheap. <laughs> Being not carried about with divers. <laughs> so ladies, don't you ever go out with a diver. It says right there, don't be carried about with divers and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which have not prompted them that have been occupied. Uh, nobody knows exactly what he's talking about here. He gets into, but yet it's not hard to, to realize. 
we, 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 see, we see over in uh, Romans 14th chapter where he's talking about there's some people who are so legalistic. Remember how I said earlier that there are some Jews who are extremely legalistic who are Christians now and they had extreme Jewish dietary customs and some of them are trying to bring that into the Christian church with the indication that if you eat proper things you become more spiritual. Uh, and God's Word tells us time and again that uh, those who eat only herbs and this, that, or other are for baby Christians. Uh, they haven't received what, as God's Word says, what I have called clean, do not call unclean. And so we see that he's, Paul's probably admonishing the church in Rome there. Uh, don't fall for that. Don't, you know. But at the same time, he says, look, if somebody does have a strong conviction about, say, not eating pork, don't sit there and, and, and eat a pork chop in front of them just to, to torment them. Somebody, I heard that. Have you seen that commercial where Bojangles now has a pork chop biscuit that's supposed to be good? They're pretty good. Are they good? You got three minutes. Three minutes went to, to serve? Yep. <laughs> huh? Put pimento cheese on it. Uh, I like pimento cheese. And I like pork chop. Huh? Chicken biscuit. Try it on a chicken biscuit. Try it on a pimento cheese on a chicken biscuit. At Bojangles. 69 cents extra. I was trying to picture that. <laughs> might, might look like a chicken did something on my chicken biscuit. But uh, i tell you what I like is uh, Chick-fil-A. They're breakfast burritos. Now, oh, I like them. Those things. Are, I am hungry. All right, we'll continue this at another time. Let's stand if you would, please. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come into your holy presence. Thank you for the joy of studying your word with the family of God. Thank you for the love of God that shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray if anyone does not know you as the Lord and Savior of their life, that they'll pray this prayer I'm about to pray. Dear Jesus, forgive me of all my sins. Come into my heart and save me. I receive you as my Lord and my God and my personal Savior. Holy Spirit, please fill me to overflowing. Thank you for saving me. Father, keep us now in going out and coming in and bring us back safely at the point of time. For these things we ask and pray in Jesus' name and all of God's children say, Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great day.